Thank you, Brother Tommy. Aren't we blessed by the ministry of the music here at Dyreda Baptist Church? Let's thank the Lord for Brother Tommy and our choir, our instrumentalists. Oh, what a joy it is always to be back in the house of the Lord here at Dyreda Baptist Church. I deeply love you and so proud to be your director of missions or your associational mission strategist. They say that D-O-M stands for dumb old man. <laughs> they, they also said that A-M-S stands for a mess. So I don't know uh, uh, which one I am, but I am proud to be uh, Neil Hughes with you all here today, sinner saved by our blessed Savior and the privilege of preaching uh, the Word of God today. And I thank the Lord for your pastor and his faithful leadership through the years. Our friendship goes back to the days when I was pastor at Biggie Road Baptist Church and he arrived here. I arrived in 1987. He arrived shortly thereafter and we've just been blessed by he and his family and their friendship. I'm so glad he's at Trinity Memorial. It's one of our churches over on the west side of town. It used to be the Trinity Baptist Church and the Memorial Baptist Church and they came together and now they call themselves Trinity Memorial. They have a senior adult group there that they call themselves the NDY Club, Not Dead Yet Club, is what they call themselves. And uh, they, uh, they meet on a regular basis. I was out there for a Valentine banquet, oh, a few years uh, or, or just shortly before the COVID season. And uh, we were introducing those that had been married the longest. And there was a couple there that had been married for 70 years. And Stan Holt, their pastor, put a microphone in front of the lady and says, what's your secret? And her reply was, he just won't die. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, they, uh, they have a lot of fun over there, and they're witnessing and bringing the gospel there on the west side. I know, as I echo what Tommy said, take a few moments this evening. Don't just pray for our brother. Go over and visit his wonderful church family. They will enjoy having you there, and Brother Rick will be blessed by your presence as well. Take your Bibles, please, and turn with me to the first book of Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter 17, looking today, focused on verse 45 through verse 47, but also looking at the entire chapter of 17. Uh, you have, may have known this story from the beginning of your days. Maybe in vacation Bible school you learned this, or in Sunday school you learned this. It's the story of David and Goliath. But I've entitled this morning's message, Facing the Giants. Facing the Giants. First Samuel, we will focus on verse 45 through 47, but then keep your Bibles open to 1 Samuel 17 as we enjoy uh, this story unpacked through the course of the message. Won't you please stand and honor the reading of God's precious, mighty, holy word. This, the word of God, will change your life. Verse 45 says these words. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. But I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, of whom you have defied. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle 
is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. So, Father, speak now, O Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you please be seated? I'm five foot eight on a day when my hair stands a little taller. I'm considered short by human measures, so everybody's tall to me. But I've seen giants in life, and you've seen giants in life too. There's recently uh, been one of our uh, national basketball stars who's been arrested in Russia. And when you see her on television, uh, you will see her against her uh, her guard, her female guard, and the guard's about five foot five, and she's about six foot nine, and there's just about a two feet difference between head and head. A tall woman, a giant. When I was at Sanford University, back in those days, they had a dormitory on the very back end of the campus. It was uh, two trailers, one for the women and one for the guys. They called it the sea dorms. In the male sea dorm, they reserved it for the athletes and the riffraff. I was the riffraff. They let me sit in the back. It had good news and bad news. The bad news was it was about a mile to your first class over a big hill. The good news was it was air conditioned, so we, I, I sure enjoyed the air conditioning there. But the athletes mainly were basketball stars. And they were very, very tall. And one of my friends named Randy was seven foot two inches. That's tall. And for a five foot eight guy, that is very, very tall. I looked up to him one day when he was sitting there drinking a coat, a Coke, and I looked at him and I said, How's the weather up there? To which he poured the coke over my head and said, Neil, it's raining. <laughs> I learned never to miss with a giant that size again. We've seen giants, haven't we? Physically tall giants. We also have read about giants as we see here in the scripture. His name was Goliath. Goliath is Hebrew for giant. He was a giant. The Bible says that he was over nine feet tall. Several scholars had him defined when you add up all the cubicles as nine foot ten inches tall. Almost ten feet tall. Now, to put that in perspective, if you go home today and go to your bedroom, typically it will have an eight foot ceiling. If you go over to the kitchen or to the living room or to more of a public space, it most likely they cosmetically have raised that two feet. So most likely your living room is 10 feet tall. So just stand there when you get home today and look at how tall that giant really was. A tall and commanding fella. He was so tall and so big that the Bible says that he had 125 pounds of a jacket on that was a defense jacket, kind of like a, a you know shrapnel kind of jacket that he had on, 125 pounds. The Bible says that his spear was akin to a weaver's rod and that the tip of that spear was 15 pounds, just a humongous giant. He had a commanding voice, a shouting voice. And for 40 days, the Philistine army and the Israelite army would gather a little bit east of Jerusalem and a little bit west of the sea in a place that was there known as that day as Sokah in Judah. 
And they would gather on two hills, and there in the valley that giant would appear to them for 40 days. Now, they would come, and they would make a lot of rant to one another. In fact, the Bible says they would come in the morning and in the afternoon and would give out a war cry. So on one side, there's one group yelling, War Eagle. And on the other side, there's another group yelling, Roll Tide. And in the middle was this giant, Goliath, tall, commanding. I remember Jack and the Beanstalks. I couldn't help but think of this giant saying, Fee, five, four, thumb, I smell the blood of an Israelman. He's just a big, tall, commanding voice. But he would stand out there, and in that day and time, they had a rather popular way of doing things so that not everybody in your army died. You would just pick a guy from your side, they would pick a guy from the other side. They would go down in the valley, and they would fight it out to the death. And whoever won, the losers would become the subjects, the slaves of the others, or vice versa. So, so this giant named Goliath came down to the valley, made his rant, and said, You come send someone down here. If he wins against me, we'll be your slaves. If I win against him, you will be our slaves. For 40 days, he would come down. And when he said those words, then he would cuss at them. And he would say and dare defy the ranks of Israel. That meant from the very buck private all the way to the king, he defied them. He dared them. Bring it on. Bring your best guy to me. I will take him out. He'd spit at him and cuss at him and jeer. The Bible says that they would run to the hills for 40 days. The big, commanding, wonderful army of Israel would see that giant and run to the hills. I mean, they'd just get away from him. 40 days. In the morning, they'd hear him. They'd run to the hills. In the evening, they'd hear him. They'd run to the hills. Now, it's kind of interesting to me when I see this because I know that they've been fighting the Philistines for a long, long, long time. You see, in that day and time, the Philistines were like a gnat on a summer day in Montgomery, Alabama. They were just annoying. They just always around us and always kind of carrying on. And you just had to fight the Philistines. But for some reason, this giant had the best of this army. And they were a commanding army. They were a defying army. They were a strong army. And yet they ran to the hills for 40 days and 40 nights from this giant named Goliath. What do you suppose? My guess is that even over and above the Philistines, this giant brought a little bit of history into their hearts that scared them, that brought fear to them. I could imagine the army of Israel saying, oh, yeah, I remember you, giant. We fought you and our family before. Yeah, my granddaddy's fought your, the giant. My daddy fought you, the giant. In fact, my ancestors have fought the giants. I can remember way back in Numbers when they came and they saw Caleb and Joshua and the rest of them saw the promised land and where Caleb and Joshua saw the promise they saw nothing but a problem and they said oh there's giants in the land and they will squish us like grasshoppers my guess is they thought boy for 40 years we were punished because we ran away from the giant in that day and time and we don't know what to do with this giant today you might have giants like that in your life 
that giant might be named cancer. Or that giant might be a heart disease. Or that giant may be the death of a loved one and the grief that you're experiencing even as we speak. Or that giant might be a divorce. Or that giant might be some sort of disaster or disillusionment or despair or some sort of trouble. Or maybe they have real feet and real arms and a big mouth and they have a command over you such as a bully and, and they're at work or they're at church or they're at home or they're a member of the family or something but they have a command over you and instead of being able to rise above that day your heart grows like the armies of Israel and you run to the hills because the giant has said boo and you've run away. We all face the giants don't we? And the Lord gives us a way around the giant. We're going to talk about that in a few moments. But when the giant comes our way, we need to remember that he carries the story of a thief. The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that thou might have life and life abundant. God is going to bring life to you. If you follow the promises of God, instead of the, the, the fear of the giant, God has a direction for you. It's just the way in which you choose to make it at that moment. Are you going to chase after the fear of the giant, or are you going to hold on to the promises of God? When I was pastor here at the Big e Road Baptist Church for those 18 years, I eventually was asked to go to the North American Mission Board. And for many, many years, from 2004 until I was called back to be your, uh, your director of missions, I was a member of the North American Mission Board. And in those days, I was on an airplane about four times a week. Uh, the Atlanta airport was my parking lot, and I would fly somewhere in North America to go and minister to your missionaries and pastor and care for your missionaries on behalf of the North American Mission Board. Now, to be honest about that, in the very front days, I had not flown that that much, and I really didn't care for flying. I believed in the scripture that says, lo, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. And so I preferred to drive, but where I was going, I had to fly. To get there was just a practicality and a practical nature. So in the early days, when it would bump and carry on and the turbulence would happen, I, I would white knuckle. It would just scare me half to death. One day... In the early days, we left uh, Atlanta going to St. Louis. And when we left Atlanta, it was a beautiful, sunshiny day. When we arrived into St. Louis, it was a huge cloud in, uh, in the area, and the thunder and the lightning was roaring. And so when we were trying to land, the, 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 the airplane began to rumble a little bit, and the turbulence began to happen, and I began to look concerned. I was sitting on the very back seat of the plane. To my right on the window side was a nun. To my left was a Delta pilot that was just hitching a ride to go uh, to his next flight that he was going to be the pilot of. And so I was in pretty good company and we had discussed and gotten to know one another on the journey and now the storm was in and we were going up and down. The nun looked to me, saw the ashen face of Neil Hughes and she handed me her rosary and said, Neil, I think you need this right now. <laughs> and I did, man, I grabbed it and I, I was doing the Baptist rosary at that moment. I didn't know quite what to do. 
do. I, I decided to look at the pilot because I got to thinking about it. You know, that pilot, he knows all about turbulences. He knows about the weather. If his demeanor looks calm, then maybe I need to be calm. So I thought I'd just watch him. So I was looking at the pilot and watching his body language and his eyes and so forth and listening intently to what he had to say. And then the big thing happened. There was a thunder crack and the back end of the plane kind of did a slide by it. Never seen it, never been in it before, don't want to be in it before, but the plane just kind of zigzagged for a moment and it. everybody was screaming now. This boy about five rows in front of me yelled out, we're going to die! You know, I mean that'll bless your heart, you know. <laughs> and, and we were sitting there and just carrying on. The, the nun took her rosary back from me, you know, and, 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 and I started looking at that pilot the pilot's eyes got this big and he says well we have a problem now <laughs> I go okay we got a problem now <laughs> I could see myself at 20,000 feet just fall into the ground but we finally weathered through that storm and got down below the clouds the rain was still coming in this window but on the left side of the plane people began to ooh and on so people began to take pictures so I quickly looked over the left side where we were seeing the storm on this side. There was rainbows <laughs> on the other side. You know, uh, what are you looking at today? Are you looking at the storm of your giant or are you looking beyond the giant and find the rainbow of the heart of God, the, the one who wants to bring you life, the one who wants to help you, the one who wants to build your faith and strengthen you and help you to rise above the fear of the giants? Are, are, are you going to be able to, to, to rise above this and hold on to the promises of God, or are you going to be captivated by the fear of the giant who dares defy the armies of the living God? Are you going to be one who jumps after the things of the Lord, or are you going to be one who gets succumbed by the fears of this world? What's your choice today? We can either wake up and whine, or we can wake up and shine. We, we either can and wake up on one side of that story or we can come and hold on to the promises of God and know that he cares for us and that no, no way will he forsake us and that the promise of his faithfulness is ever so true. Here we see in chapter 17 that picture. There was an army of Israel that had succumbed to the fear of the giants and in walked a shepherd boy whose faith was bigger than the giant. Oh, he knew the giant was there but he was holding more to the promises of God. Today, we have two choices. Let's look at it today. One of the pictures is Saul. Saul the king chose to face the giant in his own strength. His own strength. Now, the Bible says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 that he was already in trouble with the Lord. In fact, Samuel came and by 1 Samuel uh, 15, he had been declared uh, uh, one who was not going to be king anymore. In fact, the anointing was off of him. And so he was already living uh, away from the very presence of the Spirit of God in his life. And so he was doing his own thing. He was a king in his own right, but he didn't have the promises of God. He was kind of like cut flowers. He was dead. He just didn't know it yet. He was he was one that, that was still acting as a king, but he wasn't anointed as king. And so in 1 Samuel 7, 
17. He's doing it his way. He's doing it Saul's way. He's doing it the way that he had been taught and the creativity that he had in his own mind and heart. He was living out of his own shell, of his own strength, and his own body, and his own way. But he certainly wasn't living in the very presence of God. So no wonder we see here in this land that 40 days and 40 nights they would stand up there and everybody including Saul would run to the hills when the giant would dare defy the ranks of the armies of Israel. It's a scary moment for Saul. Instead of facing this giant with any sense of holy boldness, he faced it with fear. And every one of his, uh, his followers, every one of his troops followed with fear because the king had fear. The king even said, hey, I will have this opportunity for you. I will, I will, for the man who goes down there and faces that giant, I'm going to give him a lot of money. I'm going to give him my first daughter in marriage and your family will never have to pay taxes again. And all the Alabamians said amen to that. You know, that's a pretty good deal. Only problem is you had to beat the giant, you know. And so, so anyway, they, he offered that deal and nobody would take it. I heard about a it was a big executive one day that was rather exotic, had a big, huge mansion, had a pool full of crocodiles. And he just loved that pool. It had all the crocodiles in it. He invited all of his young salesmen over one day, and, and he fed them really good. They were on one side of the pool. He was on the other side of the pool. He took the microphone. He appreciated them and said that you've done a good job, and there's going to be a bonus for you to pick up before you leave here today. But then he said these words, for the young man that jumps in this pool of crocodiles and swims over to me and gets out of the pool alive and shakes my hand, I will give to him an extra bonus and I will give to him the telephone number of my daughter who is single that would don't mind a bit to have a date with you. And so anyway, there was a splash and this guy was in the pool and he was swimming like Tarzan trying to get to his balls. He finally got there. He stood up, not not one scratch, not one bite, nothing happened. He got in there, got out, got fast. The boss was surprised. The boss handed him an envelope and the number of his daughter and says, well done, son, I'm proud of you. He says, here's your money and here's the number of my daughter. The young man looked to him and he said, sir, I don't want your money, nor do I want the number of your daughter. I just want the name of the fellow who pushed me in the pool back there. We have, apart from the will and purposes and plans of God, often there are those that try to do it their own way and their own creativity. Try to fight the giants in your own strength, just like Saul. It didn't work for him. It's not going to work for you either. You try to face the giant in your own creativity, in your own imagination, in your own strength, you're heading to a dreaded moment. You know, it's sad to realize, to know that apart from David showing up and, and being used of the Lord here, this story could have ended horribly for the people of Israel. This story could be told today as how not to have an army and lead an army. This story could be known today as that the greatest army of the world stood in light of the giant. And when the giant said, boo, you all ran away. It could have been the story of shame and the walk of shame had they followed a leader 
who went at it his own way. Don't do that. Don't chase the giant in your own strength. You will be squished like a grasshopper. So there comes the other guy. His name is David. Rather than facing the giant in his own strength, David chose to face the giant in the power and in the fullness of God. And guess what, friends? Come in for a moment. He won. Here this little shepherd boy had arrived. The Bible says that he was keeping the sheep for his daddy, Jesse, uh, long ago in the chapter preceding. He had been anointed the king of Israel. He was the runt of the bunch. He was a little boy. I believe that the scriptures say that he was such a boy. I believe he was about 12 years of age. He was that, that young of a guy that day in time. But Jesse, who was of age and just couldn't do it himself, he grabbed the little shepherd boy and said, hey, I want you to go down to the fight and I want you to go check on your brothers. You see, there were three of the eight brothers that were fighting in the army. I want you to go down and check on them and, and, and here's some sandwiches for them and give this cheese to the sergeant major. Check on everything and come back and report to me and tell me how everything's going. So early in the morning, David gives the sheep over to another shepherd and he makes his journey from Bethlehem on down to this place where, where now Goliath stood and as he came on the scene he heard Goliath snorting and cussing and carrying on and daring to find the ranks of Israel and it just plumb made that 12 year old boy mad. You ever been that? Wave your hand. Go ahead and be honest. Where well, you just had enough of something. Wave your hand if that's, that's the case. Or am I the only one? Yeah, most of us. It was kind of like the Popeye's uh, show, you know. All I can stand, y'all finish it for me. I can't stands no more. That was the Popeye known as David. He had had enough. So he went to his brothers and he said, hey, you know, what's, what's happening here? What can be done to defeat this giant? And so some of the people tell him that, that, that if you defeat the giant, you're going to get a lot of money. There's a, a daughter waiting for you and that your family won't have to pay taxes again. And then the oldest of the boys, uh, the brothers, chewed him out for being a, a snob, for, for being conceited and carrying on. In other words, he was saying, how dare you, little boy, 12-year-old, stand up here and talk about why you're going to do when the rest of us professionals can't do it and we've been trying to do it for 40 days so David ignored them and went down to the king Saul and said okay what can be done I'm I'm, I'm your servant I'm the one that could go and fight this giant and Saul looked to him and says you're just a kid there's no way that you can do this no way and David looks to him and said look the Lord spared me when I fought the lion and fought the bear and the Lord's going to spare me now I'm ready to go here I stand I'm your servant I'm ready to go and fight this giant so Saul <laughs> began to write the condolence letter to his daddy and said okay son well the Lord be with you David marches down, and before he gets there, he picks up five smooth stones. It's an interesting scripture, isn't it, that he picked up five smooth stones. He didn't pick up one stone or two stones. He didn't pick up seven stones. All If they had seven stones, we could say, oh, this was a picture of fulfillment. Or if he picked up three stones, oh, this is a picture of, of the Trinity. It's a prophetic picture. But he picked up five smooth stones. Scholars are all over the page about those five smooth stones. I'm going to give you the Neil's version of this. 
I believe that we were seeing somewhat of a precursor of, of, of the book of Psalms when he picked up the five smooth stones. Maybe he was ensuring his heart, getting courage in his heart as he quoted things that later on that he wrote. Maybe the first stone he picked it up and said, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And he puts it into the pouch. And maybe the second stone he picked up and he said, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Of whom shall I fear? Of whom shall I be afraid? And he stuck it in the packet. And then the third one, he says, some trust in horses and chariots, but I trust in the Lord my God. And he put it in there. And then he said, oh, but thou art my refuge and my strength, a very present help in time of trouble. And he put it in his packet. And then he gave to the last one, and maybe we had the crescendo of the Psalms 23. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Listen, dear friends, when you face giants, it's not bad to have some scripture in your heart when you face the giant. Amen? Whatever you're dealing with, go to the Word of God and let the Word of God comfort you and help you and assure you. And when you face the giant, you're facing the giant, not alone, but in the strength and the power of God. I think that's what was happening when he picked up the five smooth stones. One of my colleague friends said he picked up five smooth stones. The first one was for the giant. The rest, one, the rest was for those brothers that had insulted him a few moments ago. Well, he picked up the five smooth stones. Then he walked down the hill, and the giant, could you imagine the scene? The giant, 10 feet tall. Little old 12-year-old sitting in front of him, he goes, Saul, you send, you send a stick, you send Twiggy to do the work of a man? That's what he's saying. Here, you, you send this little boy to do a, a man's work? <laughs> I'm going to squish you. It's going to be over real, real quick. Notice David's reply. We read it a moment ago. Let's go back. Verse 45, notice what he said. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin. You see all the things of the world? The, the, the giants in your world will use all the things of this world to put fear into your heart. They, they will use the antagonism. They'll use, they'll use the bullying. They'll use things that will scare the living daylights out of you. The sports, the sears, spears, the javelin, all of that. You come against me with all these things of the world. But I come against you, giant, in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God. Notice here, the armies. First time in the scriptures that the plural is used to talk about the army of Israel. It was as though David knew that he was not alone in this journey. It wasn't the army of Israel. It was the armies of Israel because not only did you have the human beings who standing up in array for these 40 days, you had the angels of God all around him. I stand against you in the name of the Lord and with the armies of Israel. It's so interesting when you go back into chapter 17, only one time did Saul declare God's name in anything and it was just a form of formality and the Lord be with you it's almost like he said and the force is with you it was just a formality and it meant nothing I mean the Lord be with you it's almost like taking the Lord's name in vain 
But eight different times in chapter 17, David uses the name of the Lord. And here, before he even spoke much in that first verse, he uses God, God's name, the, the, the word Almighty, the word God, the armies of Israel, of whom you have defied. He had had enough, and he was standing up, and he was facing the giant with the courage and the power and the might of Almighty God because enough was enough. This giant was going to stand no more. He has bullied the armies of God no more. He's not going to live to see the light of the day any longer. And when David stood against him, he taught us a little secret. So y'all come in and listen to it. One plus God equals a majority. Amen. <laughs> that little bitty scrawny guy that the giant called a stick. He was standing up there and looking at that 10-foot guy and said, you're nothing in light of my God. And he's had enough of you. You've cussed my God enough and we've had enough. Hey, I want to ask you, Dalrada Baptist Church, have you had enough of folks saying bad, ugly things about the Lord our God? Say amen if you've had enough of that. Time for us to stand up like David and say, hey, Mr. Giant, I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the armies of Israel. Notice verse 46. This day, <coughs> this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down and cut off your head, PG-13. Today I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. He, he said, this is what I'm about to do. You're going to be dead. Before the day's over, you're going to be dead. I'm going to cut your head off. That's what I'm about to do. You see, David already knew that he had won the war. David already knew that, that, that he was a winner here. Guess what, friends? You and I have read the end of the book. Guess what? We win. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. You stand strong. You stand against whatever giant is in front of you and say, hey, today, it's the end of you in my life. You're not going to have any rule over my life anymore. I'm going to cut your head off. I win because I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice the last verse, verse 47. All those gathered here will know that is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. Could y'all say that phrase with me? The battle is the Lord. Say it out loud. The battle is the Lord. Say it again. The battle is the Lord's. Whatever you're facing, it's not your battle. It's God's battle. God's got you back. God's got this and he's got you. And the Lord who saves you will save this world. For the battle is the Lord's. And he will give all of you into our hands. The giant Philistine, he's just laughing and carrying on. He probably roared with laughter. Oh, <laughs> that little boy, he don't know what he's doing. And then all of a sudden, David takes that slingshot. He sticks the smooth stone in. Boom! Hit him right in the forehead. The giant 
look crossways for a moment. Ooh, boom, hit the ground. Could you imagine 10 feet of body mass hitting the ground? Boom, probably shook the ground there for a moment. But David wasn't through. Took the sword of the Goliath and he stabbed Goliath. <laughs> Uh, you got kids nearby, you close your ears, okay? He took the sword and then he cut his head off and, and then he held it up. The Philistines saw that and go, whoa, we better get out of here. And they started running to the hills. The, all of a sudden, he encouraged these people, this army that for 40 days had been afraid. Listen, friends, when you stand up against the giant, you not only, you not only bring victory to the Lord and encouragement to yourself, you also encourage and bring strength to others others the word encourage means to impart courage when you encourage somebody else you impart courage to them so when you stand up in the name of Jesus all of a sudden others are standing with you when you as a Dorado Baptist family stand up in the name of God the rest of the family stands with you you impart courage, and that's what happened. All of a sudden, these who were writing condolences letters to Jesse, all of a sudden, these brothers who were saying, whoa, boy, I don't know what I'm going to tell Daddy. This, my brother, is going to be torn asunder. They were standing back in the back, and they gone southern on us. Golly, shazam, man, look what just happened here. The Bible says they chased the giants to the sea, the rest of the Philistines to the sea. Whatever you're going through right now, are you going to face the giant in your own strength? Are you going to face the giant in the power of Almighty God? It's your choice. It was Saul's choice. He chose to follow his own way. David chose to follow the promises of God. What led David to be that way? In chapter 6 to 15, God calls David a man after his own heart. Now, I don't know about you, that brings me a lot of comfort. He didn't say that to Abraham, he didn't say that to Isaac, he didn't say that to Paul, he didn't say that to John the Baptist, but for that little old run of a boy that later on had all this sin in his life and what have you, God called him a man after his own heart searched for God. He wanted to be to walk with the Lord. He, he wanted to be close to the things of the Lord. And that's where we need to be. You want to face the giant, you walk close to the cross. Amen? You want to face the giant, stay close to Jesus. You want to face the giant, draw near to him. You want to face the giant, embrace the one who said to you, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life you hold to the cross you stay close to him a moment ago I shared with you the story of my airplane experience I brought an airplane today you know I don't know how to fly this or maybe some of you know how to fly an airplane and they turn that control over to me Ooh, we're going down but somehow there's a pilot in there that just knows what he's doing. He has a way of helping us. In a spiritual sense, the Lord is 
our God. He's our pilot. He's our strength. He leads us. We trust in him to carry us along the way. He's got our back. He's got, he's got us and he's got the giant. Whatever it is, all he's asking for us to do is hang close to the cross. Stay close to him. Walk with him. Draw near to him. Be commissioned by him. Have your quiet time with him. Keep your heart conditioned to the things of the Lord. Draw near to the cross as you follow Jesus. Somehow David chose to follow God and he faced the giant. Would you today dedicate your life to following Jesus and knowing that whatever you face, you can face the giant because you have Jesus on your side. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I'm just so grateful that you've given us the privilege to walk through chapter 17 together today. Lord, uh, maybe there was someone here just has been facing giants. And Lord, maybe they've been trying to face the giant in their own strength, and they're not winning. And they're full of stress, they're full of distractions, they're full of all the things of this world because they're facing the giant in their own way. So Lord, today, may we commit ourselves to you afresh and anew. May we choose to take up your cross right now and follow you. May we deny ourselves and all the things of this world and choose to follow you today as we take up your cross. Help us, Lord, to be a man or a woman <clears throat> after your own heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.